When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Sign up and deposit up to £50 and Labbrooks will put the same amount into your account, giving up to £50 worth of free bets. Follow the link to bet.chelseapodcast.net. Hello, good evening, and welcome to the Chills. Well, nothing much has changed since last week. Sadly, because of when the games are and when the podcasts are, we haven't got any games to talk about, but we have a whole new selection of people to go over some of the things we talked about last week, some of the things we missed. Uh, And talking of missing, a lot of the players went away for three days without any training. Will it do them any good tonight? I have no idea. But to discuss all of this and more, we have a selection, a veritable selection of, of Chelsea cognoscenti here we have mr chef is here mr alan bird thank you pleasure uh, to be here can i can i just ask do you remember when you first came on here oh, a long time ago i know can you remember how much food you used to bring um copious amounts it, it was what's happened well you'll need to be on a diet this time of year Why should I... no you're right okay no <laughs> fair, fair enough that's fair enough good to see you alan it's been a while great to see you guys good good and we have, last week, we had a reputable journalist. This week, we got Gary Hayes. <laughs> Good evening. <laughs> and then, of course, we have making his welcome second event appearance. It's Mr. John Batsick. Hi there. Pleasure to be here. Now, you are looking rather brown and tanned. What have you been up to? Well, uh, I've been in Australia, though I can promise you I haven't been sunbathing. But, but over there at this time of year... You can't help but get a bit of a suntan. Oh. So we've been, I've been over there filming and just got back about four days ago. Okay. Was it successful? Yeah, it was really good. Really good journey. Good. Yeah. New documentary, I take it? A new documentary, which you won't be seeing for 18 months or so, but yeah, we've, we've started. Is that normally a gestation yeah, period? Yeah, they take about 18 months to make. I wish mine were. My last one took nine years, but there you go. So. <laughs> yeah, they can take longer from can, time to time. They can, especially if you're following real life. It's a bit of a weird one. Luckily, there's nothing real about this life when it comes to Chelsea and... Uh, I, I don't know. We were talking last week about the various reasons why things have been going wrong. And I know, John, 
you even texted me from Australia with a few opinions and thoughts over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I want to not necessarily cover exactly the same ground as last time, but love to get some more opinions because I think you thought there were certain things that we missed out on. Uh, and I think you've got a uh, well, let's get to it. I mean, one of your main bugbears is transfers, isn't it? I mean, yeah, listen, it's a, it's it's I mean, very specifically, I suppose, I, I do still want someone to tell me who it was within the club who said, this is a good idea for this club. Let's loan Batshuayi to Dortmund and in so doing facilitate the transfer of Aubameyang to Arsenal and Giroud to Chelsea. I want to know who persuaded who that that was the right thing for Conte our club. I wants to know as well. <laughs> and, 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 you know, as a proper fan, it's just like, that is flat out unacceptable it i mean it's so nonsensical that as a conspiracy theory hysteric as i like to be i could almost have a conspiracy theory about it it is it just makes no sense and i want someone to say this is why we did that i think what's regardless of a and going to arsenal and the fact that you know that triangle empowers arsenal in a way the biggest concern from my end is the fact that chelsea were preparing all week training with batshuayi as the attacker and then at the last minute the manager gets told, Batshuayi is going to Dortmund, you've got Giroud, who isn't fit. But, but, but that's, let me just say that's something. I don't know when the day came where clubs decided it was no longer the, for the manager to decide who he wants, when he wants, why he wants. That whole, the concept of that is also completely baffling. I would say the Batshuayi loan bit of it is the bit that troubles me least of all. I've been reading so much about, he scored three goals for Dortmund, he's now the greatest centre forward that ever walked the planet. I mean, do me a favour. <laughs> By the way, he's still a Chelsea player, and if he does turn into a really decent striker, we'll have him back. But it is the Aubameyang bit of that that I find completely and utterly insane. In what respect? Is that because he's, we... is he too good and therefore will help Arsenal? Or do you think that in a way, maybe we should have engineered a deal if they wanted Batshuayi and they had a Bamiyang, and we needed a striker, was there not a deal there? Is that Well, it's, it's both, frankly. Why the hell would we let him go to Arsenal, and why the hell didn't we get him for ourselves? Y- yeah, it's both. Well, I think the issue is that he is Diego Costa light, and that he's not as good as Costa, but he causes as many problems as Costa, and I think they're trying to, to ensure that players like that aren't in the dressing room. But my concern is you're empowering a club halfway through the season when they're challenging you for the top four. Oh yeah, that's that's what a big concern is, and then on top of that, you leave the side without you know a striker going into that game, and it's just embarrassing. I agree. Can I just say, funny? The only silver lining to the whole thing is, let's be honest, why would a Bamiang leave Dortmund to join Arsenal? I mean. That doesn't make any sense either. They're clearly a club, maybe a bit like us, that are heading in the wrong direction, but they're heading in it quicker than we are. Why would he do that? That's, well, that's... I think with him is that they've got the the old transfer czar, as he's known, from Dortmund has gone to Arsenal now. So obviously he's got a lot of influence in the fact that they get Mkhitaryan as well. But yeah, it's just it's just concerning from Chelsea's end that they're doing business. You know, They knew that that deal could have happened at any time and they let it go down to transfer deadline day. And there is an issue about... Chelsea playing on transfer deadline day. Why is it there's games on that day? It was like, well, you knew about this for six months, so why aren't you getting your... But you knew it at the start of the month. You, yeah, but we play, Barclay... we, we play this all the time, this card of leave it till the last yeah, minute. Yeah, I know, I know. Why? But the point is that you can leave it to the last minute in August because the players are going off on international duty. You leave it to the last minute in January when you've got a game and it just ruins your whole preparation for that because would Chelsea have won the game had Batshuayi played against Bournemouth? 
But to be fair, okay, the other thing, I'll bring you in on this in a sec, Al, but the one point that I really want to make here is we all knew Batshuayi was probably going to Dortmund. How the hell did our manager and the squad not know that? Why would you not train another way? We knew three, four days beforehand it was probably going to happen. Wouldn't you have another plan in place? I find that the oddest bit is that it wasn't a surprise on deadline day. Oh, my God, this is happening. This had been talked about for several days. So obviously it was in the pipeline. Surely, so I don't quite buy the fact that he was training with Batshuayi all the time, right up until the last minute when suddenly he wasn't there anymore. Something doesn't fit in this plan. What do you think, Al? I think um, we've been off the pace in terms of um, transfers for quite a few seasons now. We used to be very well organised when uh, Jose was there. Um, he always used to do his business at the beginning of the close season and there was always the speculation who was going to join us. Um, and I liked the way we did business. Then we seem to have started to be much later um, and you know on deadline day letting one of your strikers go and not knowing who's going to be uh, you know, planning the formation for the Bournemouth game is ridiculous. But I just feel that we need to... Someone needs to take responsibility. No one knows who's actually in charge of doing the transfers, whether it's um, you know, Conte or whether it's um, Marina. Um, you know, we've got no one to um, look towards and say who's actually you know, I think we do happen. know. I think it's the person that's in the pictures of all the new signings, which is Marina. Marina, but and th- th- this is this is the issue as well. She's which is silent, isn't it? Yeah, which, in the whole process. We'll, we'll, we'll come on to this point later because I've Hold got. On, we'll just come on to it in a sec. We have to have a quick break here. Sign up and deposit up to £50 and Labrooks will put the same amount into your account, giving up to £50 worth of free bets. Follow the link to bet.chelseapodcast.net. And here we are, back after the ad break, and Gary's still going to gas on. So what I was going to say before I was rudely interrupted was that um, th- there, was was a, there, was, there, there was a point in, in an article the other day about how Conte's not present when the players are being announced and when they're having the, the images, you know, the photographs taken by it. Um, by the, the club photographer and the manager's never there it's always the person that is the influencer who when Chelsea signing players that's the person that is there it used to be Emanalo now uh, Marina Granovsky is there and I think that's and where Dave the power Barnard. is but, 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 and Dave uh, Barnard used to be it before yeah. Emanalo took over exactly yeah. Alan that, but, but, that's but, right but you're not saying that Marina's the person who decides who we're buying and then goes and organise no but she'll be the them. power broker that makes she's the one who does the deal, deal. Over the line. Yeah, right. which is where the concern is right now where the Emanalo, him leaving, has been a bolt from the blue for the club. They've got no replacement for him. They've had no one step up, yet they've got people like Eddie Newton around the club that work in that environment. They've got people like Paolo Ferreira that work in that environment. They haven't stepped up. There's, there's a void at the club, which they, I think they were just planning on getting through in January in, in, with a view to installing someone properly. And there's talk about it being Belletti Giuliano now. Belletti, yeah. yeah um, but, but also, aren't we just dancing around the fact that what, actually what's happened is we're not spending the money we used to spend because, because a decision has been made that we're not going to spend that money. So whether it's Marina or you or me, quite frankly, she's got X amount of money to go to the marketplace with. It's 15 million for Ross Barkley. It's whatever the hell it was for Giroud, 18 million. And we're not at the top table anymore. I, I don't even think it's... Uh, Right, I'll, I'll, I'll disagree with you on that one, but I will come to that later. But I, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily money that's the problem with this. It's just that Chelsea procrastinating at times, and they seem to absolutely. The last time they got it right 
was in 2014, that entire year of transfer business, because you know we can argue to the cows come home about whether De Bruyne was the correct sale or not. You know, but what De Bruyne and Mata got us in in January 2014 was that money bought in Sesk and Costa that summer because that money was set aside. They bought them in. They signed those players early before the 2014 World Cup started, and then those two players won Chelsea the title. So short termism, you could say those moves were the, were the right moves. Long term, you look at De Bruyne now and you think, what the hell were you doing? But at the same time, they, they did their business nice and early, and they did it quick with the plan of what they, where that money was going to be put across, you know, uh, put to when. Um, it was being spent in the summer. They got it right that summer. Since then, they haven't because Jose had his team set for the next season. And that's it. By the start of the season, they played Burnley. They won three one at Turf Moor on a Monday night football that was, you know, an accident waiting to happen. And since then, you know, after that game, Chelsea cruised their way to the title. But that still that still suggests even in 2014 that the money wasn't available that used to be available because you're saying we had to balance the books by selling those two players in order to buy the next two players and that's a big change. Well, I, I don't think it was balancing the books in the sense I of mean, I don't. That's an exaggeration. But no, no, but is, yeah, in, in terms of one big player going out for yeah, yeah, it's a trade. But it never but, used to be. I mean, we used to no, just it didn't. But I think crazy you know, amounts of money. I, I think and the, the, the the you know the whole environment around Chelsea has changed because. You've got an owner that's thinking, okay, this new stadium's going to cost 500 million. Oh, suddenly now it's a billion. Well, I've got to pay that. He shouldn't have to pay that. No, I have every sympathy, but let's just accept it. We're not spending that money. Yeah, sure. Anymore. But I think that, because it's been, okay, it's not but just. Don't the- you think it's, it, there are several factors here. One, he doesn't want to spend. He's said that from quite some number of years ago that it has to be a business concern. This has to be able to fund itself. I get that. I get the fact that we've probably lost the golden years of buying three or four big signings every summer. But what the light at the end of the tunnel is, and something... And I also think that maybe his divorce has something to do with this as well. You know, who knows? But that is not going to, you know, cost him not a little bit of money. You know, let's face it. But I think also, the point is, the one thing I think Chelsea have got right over the last few years, whether they utilise it is another matter, is our youth teams, the way we're bringing kids into football, the way we're working them, up until the age of about 18 or 19. Then it looks as though we have a problem in the fact that we don't quite know how to take these kids the next step. I've said in the part, and I'll just say my bit and then I'll throw it out there. I think Conte at the moment has a bit of a plan for the youth. No matter what people say, Conte has given quite a few young players a chance. And it seems to me the way that he's kept people like Ampadu back this year, Hudson-Odoi, and the kids under 19, makes me think that what he thinks is, there's no point loaning these kids out at 17. They will learn a lot by being around the first team squad. They will learn a lot by sitting on the bench. And he thinks they are potentially good enough to do game time. And that seems to be... The pressure is off them. Once you're 20 or 21, that's when Conte goes, you need game time. At 17, you're young enough not to need game time every week and you'll get some sort of experience and some sort of value. When you're older, if you don't play for two or three years, you're finished as a footballer. They're the most crucial years, I think, for a young player to develop into either an average player, a good player or a great player. And actually, the great players have probably already done it because they found a way. Like you look at Ampadu, when I see him go onto the pitch, he looks like a grown man. When he's standing next to everyone, apart from his hairstyle, which, as I said, (laughs) looks like he should be in the levelers. And that lip tash. And that lip tash. You know, 
this is just youth and we mustn't forget that we all probably did stupid things. But, you know, the point is he looks like a full-fledged footballer. And I think Conte has got a plan. If Ampadu isn't a first-team player regularly within the next 18 months, he will then go for a loan period. And I think it's the same with Hudson-Odoi. But I think he sees potential in them and a couple of the others. And I think that's how he works the youth team out and works out the young players. So I would suggest that Conte, he's quite right this week, and we'll get on to this as well. Conte is seemingly trying to fight back against what I think is a bit of a press assassination on Chelsea. Mm. I think there is manipulation of facts. I think there's a manipulation of words. Conte cannot be more honest, I think, than an awful lot of what he said this last week. No matter whether he says, I'll stay or I'll go, they'll say, oh, he's definitely going. Oh, it's this. Oh, there's definitely a situation. Yeah, things are probably not 100% right, but they never are when you're losing games. And I think Conte is suffering at the hands of the press, and I think it is a hatchet job. Yeah, I don't agree with this agenda as well that is being pushed. He's harking for the sack. And, you know, I saw a tweet earlier from a respected account saying, oh, um, this is a manager that since he signed these um, improved terms, he's been pushing to get the sack, to get the compensation. It's just ridiculous. And, you know, the the comments he made on Friday, which came out today because of embargoes with with the media, but about, um, you know, I'm bad at convincing clubs to sign players because I'm too good at making the current players better. People saying you shouldn't be saying that, a manager of a football club. Well, no, no, you should, what he's saying is that maybe it's because he doesn't speak English fluently. He's saying, I'm a victim of my own success. You know, I, I took a failing team that finished 10th the season before I came in. Players like Victor Moses that hadn't been, had a look at uh, looking at Chelsea in the whole time they've been there. You know, he was a failure at Stoke on loan. He was a failure at Liverpool on loan. He was a failure at West Ham on loan. And suddenly he makes him into one of the best right wing backs, the most effective right wing backs in the league. Marcus Alonso, an unfancy signing um, from Fiorentina, he makes him one of the most effective uh, wing backs in Europe. Not only that, as a goal threat as well. So I think that's the point he's making is that I take rough, Play, you know, rough rocks, whatever the saying is, and make them into diamonds, you know, which he does well. And I think maybe carrying over into your idea about the youth is that maybe there's potential that that's what he's talking about as well. And that I take a player that's maybe a five or six and I make him into an eight. And you can see the work he's done with Ampadu already. And I, I think with Ampadu is an interesting case it is because Clark Salter has been turfed out to Sunderland to you know go rot with them bottom of the championship. You know, and last year he struggled at Bristol Rovers as well. But Ampadu's come in last summer from Exeter. The manager's had a look at him and then he's been playing him a lot more. Um, but also as well, you know, and you see him is that not only is he physically looking like a man, it's the way he plays football. Sure. He, he opens himself for the ball. He wants the ball. He's directing players and he's doing what players in that position should be. And that comes from confidence of working around the big names that he is in, in the training sessions and also having that come from the manager. And I think Conte's had a big part in the development you've seen from him this year. I got to say that right now I feel like, uh, I think the fans are letting Conte down and I think the club are letting Conte down massively. And yeah, the press are, have got a vendetta out on him. But I think, you know, any minute now, the players are going to be the ones letting him down as well. The, the, whole, the whole world has turned on Antonio Conte. And as just, just in reference to what you said... I, I, I repeat, what he achieved last year is the greatest managerial feat of any Chelsea manager I've ever seen, and I love Jose, and I've been going since 
you know, for 40 years. And what he did with that team was remarkable. And I cannot understand how, how the place has turned on him. I just cannot. And, I, and he looks thoroughly fed up and pissed off. And that started in the summer when he was completely let down in the transfer market. We are champions. We're the Premier League champions. Scrabbling around, selling players left, right and centre and not replacing them with top, top quality um, world-class talent. And the consequence will be, I hate to sound like the gloom merchant, <laughs> but I guarantee Eden will be off. Courtois will be off. We will lose our world-class players if we're not very, very careful. And if I was Eden Hazard, I'd say, you know what, six years, two Premier Leagues, I'm going to go. Why shouldn't I go? Yeah. And I feel the club is completely to blame. And I think it's so sad that the fans I see on Twitter, so many of them, turning on the guy. Yeah, we're not doing well, and he's not doing well. But so what? Give him a bit, cut him up some slack. The man worked an unbelievable miracle last year. You know, if I, the, what the club should do is extend his contract right now for a year or two years, so we can all stop moaning about him and let him do what he's got to do. I, th- I think you're absolutely spot on. I, th- I think that there is. We live in this instantaneous news world. We're in this instantaneous emotional world, whereby we 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 don't have to work hard for things anymore. If somebody doesn't quite do it, that's it. They're rubbish. They're gone. They've got to go. Don't ever want to see him again. It's nonsense. You've got to put up with people. And, and I, I just think, I, I think John's got a point. What do you think? Absolutely. I, I think that the way that we've let ourselves down in the transfer market <clears throat> hasn't done Conte any favours whatsoever. So he's chasing his own tail in terms of trying to get the team to gel as a unit. Um, I think his tactics, you know, he's been found out at times in games where he's changed the tactics or hasn't changed the tactics. Although I think his substitutions have been quite effective. And then the whole thing with the youth team, everyone wants to see the youth team players make that transition to the first team. Um, but we seem to have two businesses that, that you know, log heads with each other. You've got the players that are out on loan um, trying to prove themselves um, who are doing fantastically well. You look at all of our loan players, they're all banging goals in and you know, assisting and doing a great job. We can't quite put our faith in them to bring them back off of loan to put them back in. We'd rather sell them and make money on on that sort of side of the business. But I do think that um, you know Chelsea do need to take a long, hard look at what their transfer policy is, and someone needs to bang a few heads together because it's clearly not working. And yeah. we're going to end up, and I hate to say it, this word, the Arsenalification of Chelsea. Mm. Oh, I feel queasy. <laughs> we're going to end up. Um, trying to save money by getting youth team players through that money that's going to would have been for transfer is going to go towards the the new ground which is understandable but I really don't want to see us go down the same route as Arsenal did happy just to qualify for the Champions League not win any trophies because you know what happens don't you it's not it's not it's just not you can't even what happens once you start settling for for going for Champions League you suddenly find yourself in the Europa League. And yeah. once you're in the Europa League, you suddenly find yourself mid-table. And it just the Big becomes, Sam as your manager. Yeah, exactly. It just, it just shows a total He'd lack do a of job ambition. for us, Gail. <laughs> can, can I... I'm no, conscious. You can't, I, I, because I've just got to take a quick commercial break. One. I just love doing it to interrupt you. Who gets you, all you get, this money? You get so, <laughs> this water you get so angry. It, it's always great to cut I you mean, off. Andy, I mean, Andy, see, that's why I'm red. Because I can see you, yeah, <laughs> huffing away there. And I can see you, your face bloating with rage and anger. So, yeah, let's go to a commercial break and just calm down, Gary. 
Sign up and deposit up to £50 and Labrooks will put the same amount into your account, giving up to £50 worth of free bets. Follow the link to bet.chelseapodcast.net. And we're back. And Gary, now you're better the now. The floor is you? yours. Yes. I, well, all it is, I'm just conscious. I don't want to talk too much, but I have come well, with an agenda Well, why would you come on here then? I've come, I've come with a very big agenda and I've got very, very many points to talk about. So <laughs> the first one I wanted to touch upon was, um, and this is from Jonathan Northcroft in the Sunday Times this week. Uh, this isn't me, you know, targeting Jonathan Northcroft or, or anything like that. It's just that it happened to be the one of the most coherent article, articles I'd read this week, but equally the one that comes out with the most baloney um what's that decline of the roman empire yeah yeah so the headline is decline of the decline of the roman empire and it just it feeds on i don't want to say it's an agenda or a hatchet job of chelsea per se but i do think that when chelsea go through these periods everyone wants to see now's the time they're going to crumble now's the time now's the time everyone wants to build it up like that and you know the, the, the note i made at the top of this was that it's being billed as Apocalyptic Chelsea, the end of days at Chelsea, and all the rest of it. And it's just, it's oh, so far from the truth. Not taken over. Yeah, exactly. You're a choir boy compared to me. No, uh, uh, that's end of days. Um, God, but, is he related to the Kiwi bloke? No, no, no. D- different continents, Kerry. Come John, on. John's never heard your Kiwi bloke. Yeah, no. may, maybe later. Oh, it's, sorry, it's, you're being serious. Ser- I'm being serious sorry. here. Come sorry. on. Sorry, but, quiet um, for Gary's seriousness. So, anyway, it was a point that uh, John touched upon when he said, you know, Chelsea don't sign these uh you know the top players anymore and, and in Jonathan North I've got many highlighted pieces in this in this article but it says you know Chelsea do not sign the very biggest players anymore because they simply can't now I think that's a myth about Chelsea simply because you go back to when Abramovich first came in as Chelsea owner in 2003 who was Chelsea's first ever signing under Abramovich Glenn Johnson, Glenn Johnson for £6 million from West Ham. Then later on that summer, we signed Joe Cole. later on that day. He came yeah. with a free toilet seat, didn't he? <laughs> uh, no, no, he yeah. thought he got a free toilet seat from B&Q. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> that was at the Galleria um, in Hertfordshire, wasn't it? Um, yeah, and his career went down the toilet. Yeah, literally, um, <laughs> he did it himself. Yeah, but, um, so, and then later on that summer, we signed Joe Cole for another £6 million, and it was a year that West Ham got relegated, and, you know, well, we, we saved them, you know, with, with that £12 million. Um, which is another point altogether, but the, the first couple of years of Chelsea signing players, and this is a point I've made on here before, and I've written about it a lot as well, that, um, you know, so we signed Glenn Johnson, we signed Joe Cole, that summer as well, we signed Damien Duff, who was one of the biggest up-and-coming names in the Premier League, but globally and in Europe, he wasn't really this known entity that a lot of the big clubs were going after. And he cried when he left Blackburn, didn't he, apparently? Yeah, yeah and he cried when he left Chelsea to go to Newcastle. Yeah, no, he That's really didn't want to leave. Mm. Mm. Um, and he cried when he left his passport in the hotel room. What's your point? Uh, so, so, so my point is, is that um, yeah, he's laughing. He knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, right. So then, um, and then we signed McAlady that summer. That uh, I had to go on strike from Real Madrid to you know, it was, it was a player that Real Madrid didn't want because he didn't fit their Galacticos ethos. And you know, Chelsea. But you're missing a few players that we signed. No, no, as yeah. Well, so, like so I'll, 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 I'll come right. on to that. Uh, so, so, so Chelsea that first summer they, they signed Veron from Manchester United they Robin. signed a lot of players but they didn't sign the big marquee players that people are talking about now um, and then the, the, you know, the summer later when we get uh, Jose come in who's like the up and coming manager of, uh, you know, of, of global football let alone European football he signs Drogba now Drogba wasn't Drogba 2012 Drogba Drogba was this unknown entity, this player that... A bit like Alvaro is at the moment, not, falling but, over. He, but he wasn't even in the same league as Morata no, now. Wasn't. He was a player that, when Chelsea signed him for 24 million, Chelsea were, you know, people were making fun of Chelsea for signing this player for 24 million. Everyone thought we would be getting Shevchenko, 
you know, or, or, or other players of that billing. And we couldn't get Shevchenko from AC Milan until they were ready to sell him to us two years later. Until he was when really he was knackered, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, we signed Carvalho and Paolo Ferreira, two players from an unfancied Porto team that won the Champions League against, um, it was Monaco, wasn't it, in the final? Yeah. yeah. But I bet what we paid for Drogba was more than we paid for anyone in, in the club's history up to that point. 24 million it I was. I think it was. Um, I mean, so, that, that's a good point because I haven't looked at the fees. So in those days, that was a massive... Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it, it was big money. It was big money, but it wasn't this marquee name that people are talking about. No, and, and actually, then, as we've gone for marquee names, it's sort of been the downfall yeah, of the club. So, because Shevchenko being and the first then in, in, in the in the January prior to um, to Mourinho coming in, the last bit of business Ranieri did is he signed a young Arjen Robin, who really not many people were talking about. He signed a young Petr Cech, who really only Arsenal had been looking at. And I mean, already had Chelsea like was signing, Judy. yeah, Chelsea well, signing up and coming end, players. They worried about, <laughs> yeah, Chelsea's Chelsea signed up and coming players, and I, you look at it now where it says here, um, so, yeah, uh, right, so you know. Chelsea can't sign the big players anymore. They're nowhere near the transfers of Neymar, Kylian Mbappe, Philip Coutinho, Dembele, um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Alexis Sanchez, uh, Aubameyang. They're saying Chelsea aren't even getting linked to these players anymore. And I think that this is, I don't want to say he's a bad journalist because he's not. He's a very good journalist. I'm trying to think of a way to, to say it without being derogatory needlessly. But if you want me to be it's, derogatory, it's a, I, think I, it's a mis, I think it's a misinterpretation of the signs. And I think, I'm not even saying it's, deliberate misinterpretation I think maybe it's a case of he's just seeing it as it is and we're taking it negatively because it's Chelsea but I think that Chelsea were only getting connected with the big signings 10 years ago why because it was the agents pushing it because there was only one mover and shaker in the market and that was Chelsea and what were what were clubs doing if, if Chelsea were signing every player they were linked to they would have signed 50 players a season they were all getting linked to Chelsea because what were they were doing they were strengthening their positions at their clubs they were strengthening their position at Real Madrid Barcelona you know um, AC Milan Juventus Bayern Munich and to, to say that, I just think that it's deliberately glossing over the facts. And the facts are that Chelsea, they, okay, they've signed Torres in the past. They've signed Chevchenko in the past. And they've got Balak on a three, on a free. But Chelsea haven't been signing big marquee players that back when Chelsea was spending serious money, that was the equivalent of Neymar now. Chelsea just simply didn't do it. We were, sorry, we, we were pipped to the post for Robinho by Manchester City. And, and look what happened. I mean, with that he said he joined Chelsea. But, but, but anyway. what I would say is that I, where he does have a point, I think, is the world has changed slightly, in my opinion. And actually, as Premier League champions, we should have been buying one or two of the. I, I think we, sh- if you want to progress the way, if you want to win the Champions League, we should have been spending 110 okay. million on Bale or Mbappe or whoever the hell it was. And 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 so there, I think. Although I take your point, I think if you want to be a club at the very, very top of European football and domestic football, I mean, look how much Man City have spent. They may but not how spent- many of those players listed there have Man City bought? But can I, no, can no, I but just... they've, no, but they've spent, they're averaging out £50 million pounds well, we spent player. £42 yeah, yeah, million sure. pounds on a midfielder. Can, yeah, well, can, I, can I just say, this, that, this was the point I was going to lead that, on to, which is an extension of this, is that um, you know, in terms of the, the players that Chelsea are signing, I, I agree that I think Chelsea... Morata was really Chelsea's marquee signing this season. It's sort of fallen flat well, on his face. And Bakayoko. No, but also let flat on his face. Drogba but fell for, flat on his face yeah, for yeah, season. Absolutely. We all wanted him out. Well, for two I remember seasons. it well. For two seasons. Yeah. Dro- Dro- we used to go on, oh look, he's fallen over, yeah. he's damaged exactly. the eyelash. It was, it was embarrassing, wasn't it? See, with, with Drogba, is that the first two seasons, I remember the second season when he came in, we beat Arsenal. So his first season, he got 15 goals. And I remember Alan Hansen having a compilation of him on Match of the Day when we played Birmingham, we were skying the ball and, and all the rest of it. 
And then the next season we play Arsenal. So this is after the first season of Jose, second season of Jose, 05, 06. And um, he's, we beat Arsenal 1-0, I think it was. And, and the ball sort the of ricocheted off his knee and went in. And then he went and started having a go at fans and Matthew Harvey because they had been booing him and having a go at him and all the rest of it. And then, see, but this is where people forget is that the, the penny dropped with Drogba. There's a moment you can put the pivot moment in his career. And it was the 2007 FA Cup final. He scores that goal where Lampard, the most beautiful deft touch into Drogba's uh, path where Van der Sar comes out and he chips him. And Chelsea win the Cup 1-0. I'm getting chills down my spine just thinking about that. <laughs> just and, don't show me. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that, was, that was the turning moment for Drogba. That was when suddenly Drogba got Chelsea and Chelsea got Drogba. And suddenly this love affair was born. But then he still went on to four minutes away from a penalty shootout in the Champions League final in 2008, the following season. And he slaps Vidic in the face for this act of petulance that leads to John Terry taking that penalty and then Drogba gets his moment four years too late when he should have had that moment in Moscow and we would have won the Champions League but but, you know, but I do think it you know traditionally it takes big signings that amount of time to bed in I don't I mean look at Pogba for God's sake and I mean, to, maybe to, he will, well, he's not well. bedded in is Lampard was the same it took him a couple of yeah. seasons to yeah it did in his first season at Chelsea he scored seven goals but and I even his own fans were shouting fat Frank at yeah him. you know so so what, what Sorry, I wanted to get Frank. to is that yeah, not anymore. Uh, what, what I wanted to get to is that um, you know, so there's this idea. I think it's a myth that because Chelsea have spent vast amounts of money, and I think that they were overpaying for talent. You know, ten, fifteen years ago when uh, when Abramovich first came in, and they were overpaying for players that weren't necessarily of the ilk that you'd expect for that sort of outlay. You know, when you think about you know the money they spent on Sean White Phillips, for instance, I think there was a case of we can afford it, so we'll just spend the money to get the deal done. But now you, you look at Chelsea and. It's a point I've made to Kerry plenty of times is that you talk about a pivot moment for Drogba and his Chelsea career. And I think there's a pivot moment in Chelsea's history that comes in 2011 when they get rid of Ancelotti and they bring in the next up and coming manager of European football in, in Village Boas. And they pay, you know, he's just gone a season unbeaten with Porto. He's just won the, uh, the UEFA Cup and he's the next big thing in European football. And they paid something absurd, like 20 million pounds to to get him get out him of his out contract at Porto yeah. because he was the man that was going to take Chelsea forward and he came in and spoke really bold about, you know, he was 33 years old and he's talking about, I've got this five-year plan at Chelsea, I'm going to achieve this, I'm going to achieve that. And then what happened is that suddenly, somewhere along the line in that season, the club lost its bottle and because they realised that in order to achieve his targets, they had to let Drogba go, they had to let Terry go, they had to let Lampard go because they just didn't fit into what he was trying to play as a manager and where he was trying to take the club. And they got caught in this idea of we've got icons and, you know, heroes and they represent one part of the club. Yet we've got this young, you know, up and coming manager who's trying to take us in a different direction, which was buying into this idea of Chelsea were going to be, you know, um, the Barcelona on the Thames, as it were. You know, and they were going to be this ticky-tacker style of play. And, you know, and and it's reflected in Chelsea's transfers because that summer we signed Mata from Valencia when Arsenal were going for him, we pipped him to, you know, to, to him. And then you look at the signings that they've made since 2011. And this is, the, and you compare it to Manchester City as well, who have bought better than Chelsea. And they've looked at it as uh, quality over quantity. Now, I was doing some maths earlier. In the seven years since 2011, when AVB came in talking of his five-year plan, that five-year plan should have been bearing fruit 18 months ago. And what, what are we left with now? We're left with what Chelsea were in uh, 2011, where it's a mishmash of players. We don't know really, okay, so that player sort of fits that system, but then you can't play that system with this player. And you look at City and it starts all filling in. And it starts, you know, you look at the way Guardiola's got that side playing. It's taken him a year to do it. 
but everything slots into place. They've got players that play the system. But there's and, a big difference. They've got a manager who's done it all before in two different countries. But also there's a difference the in that Chelsea, since 2011, have signed 58 first-team players. Since 2011... Manchester United signed for, uh, Manchester City signed thirty five. In that time, they've had four managers: um, was uh, Mancini, Pellegrini, and Guardiola. And I say four managers because I mentioned Gus Hiddink in the Chelsea list. They had Brian Kidd for two games. You can't really say he was a manager. So in, but that's since two thousand and nine. So in a ten year period, they've had three full time managers. But all all the time, they've had Zicky Bergerstein. I can't even pronounce his name uh, in, in the back room having an ethos for what that club represents. And Chelsea have had a mishmash of what they want. And somewhere on the line, they've lost their courage and they've gone, we don't really want to do this Barcelona thing anymore. We want to go back to what made Chelsea successful, which has left this imbalance in the squad. And when you're signing 58 players in seven years, that speaks volumes for that. But also, they've let 38 players go. Okay, Drogba was two of those players in the fact mm-hmm. that he left and came back and then left again and it just shows this incredible turnover of players you know but in, in that time as well the, the attacking players they've signed and some of these are loosely number 10 so I don't, I don't want people to hold me to, to task and say you said Sherler's a number 10 I know he's not but they've signed these diminutive type of players where they've signed seven of them one matter Eden Hazard um, Oscar Sherler William Sesk and Pedro Chelsea 10 years ago weren't signing players of that Ilk, you know, players that play that style often enough, they were signing Essien, Balak, Lampard, powerful players that allowed you to play a certain type of football that could steamroll teams. And they're not doing it anymore, but they're trying with a manager that likes to do that and they don't have the personnel. But in that period of time, what did we win and what did they win? Well, that's the thing. Is it, how do you look at it? Is it short-termism yeah, exactly. or is it a case of they want to do two-year cycles? They don't want to do 10-year yeah, cycles. Yeah, that's for the fall of the Roman Empire. We've won the league twice in the last three years. Exactly, exactly. which is why I think it's just this big mass overreaction in that yeah but isn't that because everyone loves to knock the team that's been there and and you know if you're not a Chelsea fan a lot of people don't like Chelsea they never have done and actually when you see a chance to sort of have a go at a team like Chelsea I mean I don't like moaning about it but people will do it I mean How do you feel about, about what, what Gary said? Are you still with us? Oh, yeah, I've been trying to stay awake. <laughs> Luck, lucky you've got that KitchenAid coffee machine, Alan. Yeah, I, 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 I had plenty of coffee before I came. No, I think, I think Gary's absolutely right. There, is, there needs to be a decision. It comes right back to the transfer policy. They need to decide what it is they want to do with the club. Yeah, and, how we and play Roman, football. Roman is the man who needs to make that decision, uh, you know, an informed decision by getting... The, the board, which are palpable in all of this as well, by not making the right decisions. They need to decide where they're going to go for a manager and try and give him a long-term contract. But that but never seems to happen. But do that. And we're they about to two, find out. Because he's, he's going to be gone. Do you think? Yeah, I do. And it'll be a very, See, very I'm the sad only, day. I'm the only person who reckons Conte will be here next year. If we lose tonight and we lose... The two we are not going to lose we, tonight. We've said, got a tough we. run, haven't we? Tough and we've got Man U and we've got Man City. I, and I, Barcelona I, twice. Yeah, Hull I mean, being the toughest out of all of them, let's be honest. Again, again this is where I think <laughs> the, easy. the fabrication of Chelsea's managerial turnover, where they say, oh, they seem, it seems to work. And I just look and I think, and it is a point I made on social media, and I, yeah, I don't know who these people are, whether they're real people or not, and their opinions are just completely based on emotion and the last result they're not based on anything yeah. you know and anything tangible that you can look at so this is the point I was making about City and I'm only comparing them to them because they're the team that's in vogue right now and that everyone is worshipping but like I say three managers in 10 years right 
since 2011, in a seven-year period, we, we could go back 10 years and it'll be even more managers, but Chelsea have had Villas Barras, Di Matteo, Benitez, Jose, Hiddink for six months, and now Conte. Whereas all of those managers are different managers with different a different ethos each time. Absolutely. Where is... And all of them had a chance at buying people apart from Hiddink, I think. Yeah. And uh, I guess you can say loosely Benitez because of, he was there for a January, but you know, and he signed Denver Bar. Yeah, he did. So he but did sign someone. I just think you look at it and there's, there's no coherent policy. And... And Alan None. touched upon this point about these two businesses. There's the first team and there's the youth team. And the club is just eating itself because they've got this desire that they... It is, it is a financial tool. It is a tool to drive revenue because they sell these young players on. But at the same time, they want there's a hunger to produce these players and put them in the first team. But at the same time, they don't have the faith in to do it. To do, to do it. But equally, well, the they don't have managers around. To fail. They, don't have, the I'll say, they don't have managers around long enough to look... And this is a piece I wrote... Um, three, three and a half years ago when it's, everyone was talking about uh, you know, Jose potentially leaving. And my point was that for longevity for the club, Chelsea need to stand by him and they need to you know, allow him to implement you know, a, a policy. Now, maybe it was that he never had any intention of doing it, but Conte's hinting that he might. And what they're going to do is they're going to pull the rug from under his feet because of some bad results. And this is a manager that goes into the game tonight against West Brom with the equal highest win percentage of any manager in the Premier League era. And who's the other manager that he's tied with on 70.3%? Jose. Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola right. The darling of Premier League football but, but, right but, now. But, but I do think on the youth side, and I'm sure you guys will disagree, and I can't say, I, I, I can't guarantee that I'm right, but I feel like, you know, why is Christensen in the team? Because he's good enough. Exactly. And, mm. that, and how long did it take to figure that out? Two years at Borussia Mönchengladbach. No, no, but how long did it take in a Chelsea shirt to figure that out? Yeah, and it I, didn't take him very long, did it? it? Didn't. The others are not in the team because they put that Chelsea shirt on and they went out and they played. And I'm Absolutely. sorry, they're not they good were enough. Not, not good at the time, they were not good enough. And you know who else isn't good enough? Is Batshuayi? Not so far. But Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Nathaniel Chalobah, they were not okay. good enough. I agree that's with why you. they're not and, in the team and, anymore. And Christensen is because he absolutely is, and that's that's what it takes. So so maybe Ampadu will be that next player. But I, don't, I think the manager gives the player the chance. He's got to take his chance. And if you do take your chance, Absolutely. you're in the team. Absolutely right. And I, I don't know why you think we disagree because I, it's totally my philosophy because I think it doesn't matter how old you are. If you're good enough, you're, you're old enough. It really doesn't matter. And the fact that Gareth Southgate picks Ruben Loftus-Cheek means nothing to know, no. anyone who knows Have anything about England? football because he's a moron. <laughs> so, so, so all I'm saying is, you know, yeah, we develop these youth players. The reason they're not making it into the team they're not good enough. is because thus far we were talking about top flight football. You mentioned England. Mm. Yeah. Can, can, I, can I just say as well, as, no, an, you've as, had as an extension of that point <laughs> about, <laughs> about Christensen, and here, here is the point. Is, is he that, fit, by the way? Is he going to be fit for Barcelona? Barcelona. Who? Christian. Yeah, I think he yeah. will. But, I but think just, he might be back tonight. Just to, and it's retracting, going back to the point about managers and oh, Chelsea's you know, short-termism with managers allows them to win things. Okay, it does. But what that short-termism breeds is a case of spend, 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 spend to keep the, the player turnover coming over, which is represented by 58 players since 2011 mm. and buying the need to get instant success now. Whereas Christensen is... I remember Christensen playing under Jose and a lot of these young players don't come into the first team and achieve anything because they don't get to play in their positions. Poor old Loftus-Cheek has played as a number 10 and a makeshift striker when the guy is a box-to-box midfielder. What are you expecting him to do as a makeshift striker? And Christensen didn't get a look in at Chelsea under Jose. Why? Because he was playing him at right-back. 
Now, I remember one of his very few appearances under Jose, and he looked very ordinary. And it was, was against, that that cup game? It was against Strawberry, Strawberry. Town, as Hazard likes to call him. <laughs> and he played at right back, and he struggled because he had a nippy winger up against him, and that is not his game. No. His game is being in the middle of the park, getting the ball down and playing in front of him. But, but, but I'd also say this, in terms of that sort of short-term view of the club, I would say of all those managers you mentioned, and maybe I've sort of fallen too deeply in love with the man, but this is the first <laughs> manager where I would say, you want to give him a 10-year contract? Give him a 10-year contract because he is a proper manager. Mm. And he is a proper manager. And someone at the club should be smart enough to go, don't worry about the fact they're having a shitty time right now. This guy is the guy to lead them for as many years as he wants to. Sign him up. On that particular point about someone needs to do that, the board are getting to a point where a lot of those guys are going to be retiring. A lot of those guys won't be around when the new ground is open. So something needs to be done, and that's in the short term, but long term there needs to be some serious planning and how we move forward and and long-termism rather than short-termism. And finally, he will be the Tottenham manager or he will be the Arsenal manager and we will be serious. And that will be worse worse than seeing De Bruyne at Man City. That will be worse than seeing him, Salah at Liverpool. It would just be horrible. Conte at Arsenal. I don't care about Jose at Man U. I couldn't bear Conte being successful at Arsenal. Can I I just say as well, um, another thing. (laughs) Everyone's laughing now, Gary. Because I have got a lot to say and I've been sat on this for a fortnight. And it has really been been frustrating me. But... um, you know, with Conte as well, that this this narrative that's being pushed. Now, I'm stealing this story from um, Italian football writer James Horncastle from um, the Totally Football Show. Other podcasts are available outside of this one, but he he, he told off. he told Clear a really off. interesting story about Conte recently, um, where and it wasn't. I don't know whether it was just me being you know, just hear a it. Brexiteer that I don't follow Italian football so much, but he, he told a story about how um, the Juventus team had gone on a, wec- a record. A, Jonathan Rossi, a record win of um, a re- record run of wins um, in in the Serie A, and I think it was like 13, 14 wins, and they, they'd won the title. And Buffon, you know, this is Buffon, like legend of Italian football, legend of the global game, says to him, "Boss, um, now the title's won. Can we sort out our bonus for the players?" And Conte was livid. Conte said to him, um, "You disappoint me." I'm paraphrasing, but he said, "You disappoint me because a player like you is thinking about money when the season's on." And I just think for a man of that stature to be now people saying that he's harking for the sack because he wants to get a payoff, yeah. it's just completely yeah. misunderstanding the guy. Can I tell you what I really don't get about that story is because you're a man of accents that you just did it in your normal accent. <laughs> <laughs> I find that really bemusing. Oh, I can do it Such really if you want. It was a disappointment. Shut up for your face. Anyway, <laughs> anyway look, we better move on quickly to tonight and the players because we haven't even talked about the players. And I'd say one last thing. The other thing that we mustn't forget through this is on all those teams that we've talked about, there has always been one, if not all, of what was a, a great team with various leaders, i.e. Terry, Lampard, Czech or Drogba. Through those golden years, and we had JT last year, didn't play, but he was obviously there. There are no real leaders in that side. No, though, I think people are really unfair on Gary Cahill led us last year and he led yeah, us I think, spectacularly. Yeah, he, yeah he I, scored I agree with goals. that. He, I mean, I know everyone's got it in from this season and maybe rightly so, I, I, I don't know. But he, he led us last year. And whose Do, idea was it that the players have three days off this week? Cahill, was it? Cahill's. Yeah. That's a captain talking. Yeah, no, that's cool. Look, I think that Gary whole Cahill, idea that, that, sorry, it gets Cahill. a hard press and I think it's not right. And as we know, Gary loves Gary. 
and we love each other. And gets yeah. gets a lot of stick for it as well. Yeah, he does, and I don't I don't get it. You know, I mean, he's done. He's nothing not immune but from criticism from me. I just no. think that I love his story. Guy that came to Chelsea from a relegation scrap within six months was a Champions League winner, and then and within winner, yeah. yeah, and within three years he'd won everything in English football. And I just remember yeah. I remember interviewing him after the day that Chelsea won the title when we beat Palace, and Hazard scored that header after his penalty had been saved. And I just said to him, Gary, you've won everything in English football. And his face just, he stepped back and he's just like, I hadn't thought about that. And you could see the emotion mm. and how much he loved playing for Chelsea. And I just think, come on, look, I'm not saying he's the best defender Chelsea have had. I'm not saying he's the best defender in the England team. I just think that a guy that is the captain of Chelsea Football Club deserves a bit more respect. And but it's not fans, immune we see Maybe all fans need to develop a hate figure as quickly as they possibly can as soon as a game is lost. Yeah. And I don't yeah, get sorry. it. I, I mean, okay, Bakayoko, I understand it mature. because he's been appalling pretty much all season. But why would you turn on a player who's actually, as you say, he's done unbelievably people, Some people just need a scapegoat. Well, there you go. And, and just, not, I, not to condone Bakayoko's criticism, but... Cahill has credit. Of course, of course. He's, he's so far no, I said Bakayoko because he's actually basically not done anything that merits anything other than criticism, yeah. almost. And so, and so he gets what he deserves, I'm afraid. I mean, I hope he turns it round, and I suspect maybe he will. But, but I think he will. Yeah. But um, I agree with you. I, it was unfair of me not to mention Cahill last year as a leader as well. I take your point. And I, I think... But, you know, one man... We need more than that in that squad that we've got. There's a lot of lovely players. Who's the leader in the Man City team? Just a matter of interest. Company. Uh, really? Like he never plays. I mean, all I'm saying is... In the dressing room. I, I, I think you're yeah. right, but Arsenal has no leader. Tottenham, I suppose. Is it Harry Kane? I don't yeah, quite I know. Guess. Just by figurehead sort of... I just mean, what's disappointing about that for me is that a player like Eden Hazard, maybe specifically Eden Hazard, who I absolutely love, doesn't take that mantle himself and go, I'm the best player in this team by a million Too miles. Humble. Yeah. You guys... Follow me now. And I, I, I think, you know... But, you know, that humility is what just may keep him at Chelsea. You know, maybe, maybe. Mm. that's the only thing. He knows, I would think every player goes, oh, it'd be fantastic to play at Real Madrid. But I bet you that there's that part of you. If you're not 100% up to that job, you get chewed out at M- Madrid. No, I tell you what will keep him at this club is if we buy three other world-class players. Yeah, so I it's not right. blindingly mm. obvious that he's the only chance we've got of any flair on the and pitch. That, that's, it's a valid point, and you look at it and you think, you know, fans would get up in arms about their best player leaving. You look at it and if, if he goes six years, six he's years of us, service, I'd be off. I'd be off. You know, if, if the club aren't matching his ambition, why should he be staying? Sacking there? a great. I don't manager. mind Courtois going. You know, no, gladly so. But I think Hazard is the the fault. So that'd be criminal, aren't you? I know. Well, he has. T- well, if one believes what one reads in the press, of course, which which who knows, but he does seem to have taken every opportunity possible as soon as we have a dip to talk about another team he but wants to What join. I don't like yeah. about him as well is that we talk about leaders and he does report, he does interviews after matches when he's made the cock-up that's been the deciding factor in the game because he steps up to almost self-preservation I need to make sure that everyone knows I wasn't at fault for this oh no I wasn't at fault for the penalty I know Bakayoko gets sent off but yeah but I wasn't at fault for the penalty because um, De La Feu dived you know oh no it wasn't my fault that El Shawari got this easy goal in Rome it's because I gave the call to Rudiger and he didn't listen to me so it's Rudiger's fault he throws players under the bus and I just don't like him <laughs> straight up he's I have an agenda yeah. <laughs> yeah he's a, he's a brilliant shop stopper but no, his decision making is so poor. Yeah, I agree. And for goalkeepers come, in the 21st century, he is a relic. We should buy that Newcastle keeper, the new one. He's brilliant. 
Yeah, you he see, could I have mean, one good game. That was quite interesting, actually. Did you see that Newcastle keeper yesterday? Against Man- he, was, he was fantastic. Decision-making. Coming out, catching the ball. How unheard of in this day and age. So anyway, tonight we've got... We did talk about it last week. We've got West Brom tonight. We should just quickly mention Maratta's been seen dancing, apparently, isn't he, or something? And... Uh, He's, uh, yeah, a video of him dancing nonsense. with his wife, which the Chelsea fans on Twitter went ballistic about. Blows dry the head. It appears to be an old video. I mean, you know, they're like desperate for a reason to slag Footballer him off. smiled off pitch. Yes, exactly. Oh, dear. oh God. Well, that's it. Conte came out with that, that nobody should be smiling yeah. at training, didn't he? I'm sure that was probably an ironic aside, wasn't it? And everyone it takes it seriously. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, but there is a rumour that Morata may be fit for tonight. Apparently so. He said so himself. Okay. I'm ready for the game. Okay. So, well, we've got a funny old week. We did talk about it last week, but we'll do it with you guys as well. What do we think is going to happen? We'll do prediction time now. What's going to happen tonight against West Brom? Uh, we're going to concede an early goal. Oh, thanks. Uh, and we're going to win 3 1. I still don't feel very comfy with the early goal. Things go wrong from that point mm. with us. What about you, Gal? Well,. West Brom have got a couple of our managers sacked in recent years. In the last seven years, ABB, mm. Di Matteo. Well, this time, third time, lucky they saved the manager. Yes, well, yeah, I, I think Chelsea will win. And um, I think with all the negativity, they're going to go out and annihilate them and win 4 nil. Unlucky pards. I like it. Okay, John? I mean, <clears throat> I don't think they're going to win 4 nil, but I, I, I do have a sneaking feeling that we will manage to win... Yeah, that's the best I can say. When I was here last time, I said we weren't going to win and we didn't win. And I think tonight we are going to win. And by the way, when we do, we'll be three points behind Menu. So the fall of the Roman Empire will be, th- if we win, we're third in the league, three points behind the team in second Interesting place. Interesting you say that. Menu have got exactly the same uh, win, losses, and draws, like for like, as we have. But no one's calling for Mourinho's head. By the way, I think, I am. I think fourth place is between us and them, by the way. Mm. <clears throat> I think that's a very interesting thing. I think both Liverpool and Tottenham are coming good at yeah. just the wrong time for us. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to go for nine five because <laughs> <laughs> you're a working girl. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what a way to earn a living. Oh, exactly. Yeah. No, I, th- I think I think this is redemption night. That's what I'm calling I it. I hope you're redemption right. night. I and then you're... we've got the little task of Hull on Friday. What Careful what you say. Mm. What, what? Little task. What? It's like I saw no. someone on, tu- on Twitter talking about Watford uh, on a tweet saying, assuming we win. And I was like, how long have you been supporting Chelsea? Don't ever make that assumption. Assume is ever. not a word in our vocabulary, is it? Ever, mate. Okay, Hull, no assumptions here. I, I think... Sorry, uh, that's the nature of prediction. It's an assumption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, mine are usually prophetic. <laughs> or is I that think pathetic? we will win 2-0. 2-0. I'm going to this game. I ponce two tickets of Andy, so I'm hoping there's goals aplenty, but it'll be a boring Friday night cup game. 1-0 to Chelsea. Okay. Is there extra time if it's level at 90? No, no. Go, go back to the to replay. You know what, actually, get rid of after replays. what we did against Norwich, it'll probably go to a replay, won't it? <laughs> no, they've got to get rid of replays in the KC. cup now. They do okay. in the quarters. Yeah, I think we'll win the tie. i never knew you were quite so cagey (laughs) i'm gonna go for i'm gonna go for this one is going to be actually less easy than tonight so i think it's seven three (laughs) that's like the semi-final score when porto played monaco wasn't it that's what came sorry porto against deportivo was it in the (laughs) 2004 semis whatever um (laughs) 
you know, you go, you go look it up and report back on Twitter to your adoring <laughs> fans. Actually, we, we should be doing um, a, a Twitter check on you. We, I'm starting at the moment. I'm not doing it this week because Andy's away. But I, see how many followers Andy loses every week. <laughs> <laughs> because of his arguments on Twitter. And I would think you must be a good contender. But I, I don't argue. Well, you kind I just of... put out my informed Opinions. beliefs. <laughs> yeah, and they just trigger... Sorry, I'm getting Why low. are you just having it's your tweet, phone It's tweets coming through. Yeah. Who are you? What have you become? Because I did a tweet. I went to watch um, Fifty Shades Free last That's, night. That was Kerry. That was yeah. Kerry <laughs> uh, and I, I tweeted out saying Fifty Shades, the most underrated movie trilogy of all time. That would that be was you, is it? Yeah. And now I've got to do all these people like, oh, you moron. It's like, oh, it's like, come on. Like, yeah, but can I just say with irony, you have to give a clue that just may be ironic because I know you and I saw that tweet and I thought, well, he's Maybe the kind he does, of guy yeah. who would like that series of films. So, you know. I do think the same. Got be, <laughs> so just think about that, Gary. And, and on that note, with Gary, Fifty Shades. I've never, I've never got along with teenagers. Fifty Shades of Gary. That's what we've had tonight. <laughs> all I can I say. my overcoat for it as well. Well, yeah, yeah keep it on. Um, all I can say is thank you very much, Gary Monologue Hayes. Um, <laughs> lovely to see you, Chef. Alan Bird and John, lovely to have you back. And, to be here. Uh, Thank you. Let's hope we all have a pleasant night tonight. And um, you'll be listening to us tomorrow when we've won 9 5. So uh, excellent. All right. We'll see you all next week. Cheers. This is a playback media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sign up and deposit up to £50 and Labrooks will put the same amount into your account, giving up to £50 worth of free bets. Follow the link to bet.chelseapodcast.net. If you're a large organisation involved in managing, purchasing or making decisions on software licences, you need Livingston. Livingston provides the technology and a large team of experts to help you understand what software is installed on your network, who is using it and whether you purchase the right number of software licences to legally use it. This information can help you make smart business decisions when it comes to renegotiating software licensing agreements with large software publishers like Microsoft, Oracle, IBM and others and when budgeting for software spend. To reduce the cost and risk of managing your software licenses, speak to Livingston today about our managed services. Over 50 multinationals across the world trust Livingston to manage their software licenses. Visit livingston-tech.com for more information. What's your thoughts on Fulham? Chances are you don't think about them too much, but nice away day by the river, used to have a Michael Jackson statue, and once did quite well under Roy Hodgson. But that's probably about it, because chances are you're not a Fulham fan. However, if you do know someone that supports Fulham, maybe a mate or a colleague at work, please tell them about the Fulhamish podcast that I host every week looking at each Fulham game as it comes and goes, with a nice bit of quirkiness and humour along the way too. You can find Fulhamish at fulhamish.co.uk, and we're also available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes, Acast, and playbackmedia.co.uk. That's Fulhamish, your weekly independent Fulham FC podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.